When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Everybody. Welcome to Profoundly Pointless. My name is Nick Vinzant. Coming up in this episode, elephants and scary stuff. It's really amazing how similar elephants are to us. You know, we talk about personality and character traits. Well, elephants have personalities too. And, you know, they'll be the big softy, the diplomat, they'll be the general. Whatever's in their way, they walk in a straight line. And if something's in their way, you better get out of it. <laughs> and so that there's a big contention between elephants and rhinos. Uh, there's so many different subtle things that we can learn from elephants. And really, by looking in the mirror at another species, it's just a humbling reminder of our own humanity. I want to thank you so much for joining us. If you get a chance, like, download, subscribe, share. We really appreciate it. It really helps us out. So I have always been fascinated by elephants because they look so different but seem to act so much like us. Our first guest has spent the last 30 years researching elephants in Africa. This is elephant researcher Dr. Caitlin O'Connell. In your study of elephants, how much are they like us? Are they very different or are they very much the same? Uh, It's really amazing how similar elephants are to us. Um, They grow up in these very social, large families. Um, The males get that young adult itch to leave the family because they want their independence. And mom, she also sees that you're kind of being a pain in the butt to the family. And she also wants to kick you out. And uh, it's a matriarchal society. So the mothers, grandmothers, aunts uh, are leading. And and really one older female is leading the family. But if you spend, you know, even an hour at a waterhole watching the interaction between individuals within a family, they're so similar. You know, the little boys want to play with each other and the older sister's there to make sure that the roughhousing doesn't get too crazy. Uh, it's, um, it's really fascinating how similar they are and how caring they are to each other and want to protect each other. It's kind of humbling to see how similar they are to us. Do they have that kind of a social structure for a biological reason, like to survive as a species, they had to adapt this or are they just that smart and that kind of flows from that? They are a social animal and by being social by nature, you depend on others within the group. And usually you have to learn certain survival skills. Like for elephants, they don't know what to eat when they're born. They actually have to learn what is safe to eat from the others in the family. So they'll go around and place their trunk in the mouth to see, oh, okay, that's safe to eat, that's safe to eat. So um, elephants need to learn from each other 
to survive. And then the benefits of that is safety in numbers. They can uh, deter predators, you know, if lions try and surround them. If there's enough of them, they can really push off the lions. When I think of elephants, I always think of the big African elephant, like on the savannah. Is that primarily what you work with? Or are there other kinds of elephants I don't know about? Well, there's the Asian elephant, which has smaller ears and you know a hump on its back rather than a saddleback for the African elephant. But most of my work is done uh, in Namibia, um, which is the country just above South Africa on the west coast of Southern Africa. Um, but I, I found that there's so much to learn uh, from one population and, and returning to that one population is more informative for me than to compare between populations, just because it's kind of like being an, an anthropologist and you go out to study a social group and you want to see how the dynamics of the groups change over time based on environmental and social factors. So it's uh, it's been really fascinating to be able to go back and see the same elephants every year and, you know, who's had a new baby and how does that baby change the dynamics of the group and with the male elephants, who's on top of the hierarchy and how does it change when the, there's a, a changing of the guard? Because uh, I, I can ask questions about, say, you know, we talk about personality and character traits. Well, elephants have personalities too. And, you know, they'll be the big softy, the diplomat, they'll be the general, and they'll be the bully. And these character traits really are durable. They, they're, they uh, are the same until you get some, let's say, an inciting incident where the dominant bull disappears, let's say, and two bullies at the bottom of the hierarchy. This kind of happened in my situation two bullies at the bottom of the hierarchy decide they want to climb to be the number one uh, bull. But it turns out nobody likes a bully and they had to figure out how to be more dip diplomatic where the dominant bull was really a master at the kind of carrot and stick politics. Like, I'll be really nice to you, but I'm also going to jab you if you step out of line. And so these other bulls, when he left, he disappeared. They had to then change their dynamic in order to be more likable, which is really fascinating. It's very human. When you look at like who rises to the top, so to speak, is it generally through sheer strength or is it more through kind of like politics? Oh, it's character. The dominant bull that we had for six years, he had very small tusks. Uh, he was not the tallest. Um, but his character was so intimidating that he rose to the top of the hierarchy. You know, when these bigger uh, characters want a bigger group, so they they solicit these younger bulls to come and be with them and, and t you know, literally they'll take their trunk and kind of hold it over their back or say, okay, it's time to leave and kind of push them out and force them, to, not force them, but invite them to follow them. And that means that they have to share all of their resources with these younger bulls. So there's got to be some benefit. When a male elephant does not want a younger male to, say, adopt him as a mentor, they will not let them follow them. They'll shake their heads at them as they're leaving the waterhole. They'll make it very clear that they do not want this bull in their presence. So then where are the 
baby elephants and all of that? Like, who do they hang out with? Oh, the moms, the mothers, the aunts, the cousins. They're all kind of tucked into the family and they, oh, extended family reunions are just thrilling events. All these youngsters get to run around and play with each other. And uh, there's huge elaborate greeting ceremonies where the females place trunks in the mouth as a greeting uh, ritual. And then they urinate and defecate because they're so excited to see each other. I did not know that. I thought it was all like men and women grouped all together in a big pack. But so it's really just a pack of women and their kids. And then the men are just kind of wandering around. Yeah, in their own cohorts, they have very bonded groups, just like the females do, and very similar rituals. You know, when the dominant bull wants to leave the waterhole, he engages in the same let's go vocalization ritual that the females do. And then there's a volley of responses from the other males. Uh, so they're very much like an intact family, um, these bonded groups of males. Do the men have much of a role in rearing the child no uh they they may be able to detect uh relatives through smell like we can uh mice can uh, many mammals can uh, detect a relative through what's called the um, major histocompatibility complex there's a gene that actually has a smell associated with it that uh is a relatedness gene and, you know, mice have this ability so that they don't mate with siblings. You know, there's obvious reasons um, to advantages to know who your relatives are. And I suspect that male elephants might be able to do that uh, since they don't stay around after the mating event. Uh, you know, they don't pay attention to who their offspring are unless once that uh, baby is a young adult and is entering the male society, then there might be some favoritism and, and decisions made to have more of a related group than not. Um, and, you know, we see very different culture going on in the desert versus areas where resources are more ubiquitous, where water is more ubiquitous. When you, when you're studying them, how do you study them? And do they, do they acknowledge you? Do they recognize you? Well, that's a good question. Uh, you know, as a scientist coming back to the same place over the years, it would make sense that they would recognize, okay, here are these crazy researchers setting up shop again. Um, but as a scientist, I have made the very conscious decision to stay in the background and not interact with the subjects because that would change their dynamic. We're there to watch them uh, live out their lives and not insert ourselves into their life. And, and it makes sense in a zoo environment because elephants really want to have a relationship with you. You know, they don't have their whole society and hierarchy of elephants, uh, especially when there's only a few of them in the zoo environment, then making, having a relationship with that elephant totally makes sense. But in the wild, it really doesn't. Um, inserting yourself into their social environment means that they're going to make decisions possibly based on the fact that you're there. And so we try to remain as uh, neutral, invisible as possible. They know that humans are there, but we don't, you know, seek them out as, you know, oh, Willie, 
hi, great to see you again. <laughs> you know, we don't do that. Um, but we have an observation tower and everything's behind um, this cloth called Boma cloth. It's like a canvas. So they can't see our interactions and movements around the tower. And um, we have a whole database and data logger of measuring scoring behaviors as they interact with each other and different set for the females versus the males. So are elephants endangered still? Threatened? What's the status there for the most part? They are endangered. Um, you know, in some areas, particularly in Southern Africa, there are um, larger groups of elephants such that they're, it's more of a space issue. Are we actively doing something about that? Do we need to do more? Or are people kind of just like, this is we what it is? We need to do more. Um, you know, especially protecting migration routes. Um, there are areas in Southern Africa that if we make the right decisions now, we could keep these large groups, uh, transnational groups intact between Mozambique, Zambia, Namibia, Botswana, uh, Zimbabwe. There's these five countries that have formed a, um, a national park with a plan to keep these corridors and space for elephants. And uh, we need to make sure that that actually gets implemented because it's one thing to have a paper park, but to actually make it work takes a lot of effort and a lot of coordination. And fortunately, in the country of Namibia, they have shown that people can benefit from having wildlife in their area versus more cornfields. Are you ready for some harder slash listener submitted questions? Sure. Who has been your favorite elephant that you have studied? <laughs> um, well, I figure I'd be allowed two favorite elephants, one female and one male. Um, That's true. The male that I like the most is Willie Nelson, named after the singer Willie Nelson because of his long scraggly tail and kind of tattered ears. But it turns out that Willie Nelson is the diplomat. He hates the bullies and will have no qualms about telling them that, look, we don't want you here and we don't want you even drinking with us because you're such a jerk. <laughs> and I love that. He spends a lot of time on this and he's such a, a nat just natural, nice, all around sweet guy, but he will not tolerate the bullies. And, and I just, I just love it. Um, and my favorite female is Big Mama. Uh, she has an enormous family, which may end up not being uh, a smart move for these females in the desert. But she is also the diplomat. And my favorites are the diplomats because there's a lot of politics that go on to really caring about uh, justice, you know, social justice. Um, she will share the waterhole, whereas other very aggressive matriarchs will not tolerate other families being anywhere near the waterhole. They will chase them <laughs> without a question. But she will, okay, well, we can move over here. And um, she's just a really gentle giant. She doesn't get ruffled by anything. 
Uh, and that really has an impact on the rest of the family. The character of, of a leader, and you think about human society too, the character of Big Mama means that her whole family is kind of chill. And, and that's just, that's pretty cool. I love that. Have you learned by studying elephants, have you learned more about elephants or more about people? Yeah, that's a great question. I would say both. Um, I learn about myself. Uh, I'm constantly reminded by elephants of turn-taking behavior, for example. In a conversation, how many times do we overrun or do your friends overrun the conversation? You think, oh my gosh, I can't get a word in edgewise. Well, when these females are leaving the waterhole, they will have discourse and sometimes heated discourse but they let the other one finish their sentence first. And that is really cool. And there are some physical reasons for this, where if you, uh, one individual rumbles and then the next one rumbles and the next one rumbles, you're actually creating a much longer signal that will travel into the environment further. But also on a social practical level, it is letting the other person have their say. And, and that's really interesting. Uh, there's so many different subtle things that we can learn from elephants. And really, by looking in the mirror at another species, it's just a humbling reminder of our own humanity. And, you know, we can learn a lot about ourselves by really pausing and thinking about our behavior. You know, I watch elephants greet each other and I think, oh, my gosh, we need to be that excited when we see each other. I mean, sometimes we are for a, a reunion. We haven't seen each other for a long time, but they do this all the time. And it's really important, it's important hormonally. It facilitates stronger bonds. And, you know, sometimes even in your own household, you kind of forget, ah, good morning. You don't, don't even say good morning. Don't look at each other in the eyes, but it's a really important ritual to greet each other. And, you know, I wrote this book recently, Wild Rituals, just because I was so inspired by watching all these different animals engage in ritual and how important those rituals are to those animals and how they are to us, but we kind of forget their importance and, and just, well, we don't need to be now because of the pandemic. We know how important uh, seeing each other in person is and what we've lost by not being able to see each other, not being able to smile at each other because we have to you know, uh, keep each other safe by wearing masks. There's all these things that the pandemic has reminded us of how important ritual is. Why do elephants make me cry? <laughs> the, I, I would say it's because they are incredibly emotional animals. And, you know, seeing a young male shaking his head at you and having their trunk all flailing about. They're so excited. They wear their heart on their sleeve. And just seeing how emotionally similar we are is, I mean, it'll make me tear up, really. I mean, they make me cry often. <laughs> They're so special and so um, I think the other thing is, when you know, I also get very emotional when I see ex facial expressions on great apes because they're so similar to ours. And it's just, oh my gosh, we are cousins. And so when, you know, directly evolutionary cousins, but for elephants, they look so wildly different, but yet we have the same emotions. So it's just a reminder of how 
interconnected we are with other animals in nature and and we're not so special we we are on par with these other species not above them and elephants are a good reminder of that what's the deal with the elephant graveyard is that a real thing or did i like see that in a movie there are a number of different explanations for an elephant graveyard but that kind of segues into grief and grieving so some elephant graveyards have been explained by early mass hunting uh, for one, that elephants would be all killed, you know, a hundred elephants in one place in the early days when, uh, early the great white hunter thought that, you know, animals were infinite. Um, but other ex- explanations are that anim- elephants like to, when they're feeling ill, uh, an aging elephant, they don't want to leave water when they're sick. And so elephants in an area that ha- might have an ephemeral or, or a permanent water pool in the middle of the jungle that could have dried out over evolutionary time, elephants would go towards a water source to die. So that's another explanation of how you'd get so many um, skeletons in one place. Um, but on the point of grieving, elephants are very similar to humans uh, in terms of feeling the loss of a loved one, needing to visit that loved one after they pass to the point of even wanting to bury uh, that loved one and have a ceremony uh, for the loved one. And, um, you know, I write about this in Wild Rituals in my grieving chapter, how touching it is when to see how elephants really feel that deep loss that we feel and the importance of expressing that loss. Uh, and also the cultural transmission element of elephants who have experienced a grieving ritual in the wild coming into captivity and expressing that grieving ritual where others that grew up in captivity did not express that, did not have ever experienced a grieving ritual and did not engage in the grieving rituals as the others um, did. And I talk about this uh, in the grieving chapter how two elephants from Mozambique were imported into the U.S. and they had experienced a wild culture in their youth and knew what a grieving ritual was and engaged in that grieving ritual when the matriarch of that captive group passed away. So they have grief and grieving rituals just like we do, and they know the importance of engaging in them. Slightly lighter question. Who wins? Elephant versus rhino? Ooh, that's a very good question. Rhinos do not like to give way to elephants. They don't like to give way to anything. Whatever's in their way, they walk in a straight line. And if something's in their way, you better get out of it. And so that has developed a real contention. Whoever asked this question must know this that there's a big contention between elephants and rhinos. And uh, in the end, an elephant, if it really wanted to, um, would probably win if it charged at the rhino. But really, the elephant's like, whoa, okay, I'll go. I'll I'll just step over here. (laughs) You know, um, 
Whereas a rhino is like, no, 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 I'm not moving from my path. You're in my path. <laughs> I'm moving forward. So I would say that in the end, the elephant is most likely to back down because that path is not as important to the elephant as it is to the rhino. <laughs> it's not, it's not worth it for the elephant. It's not right? worth it. <laughs> All like right, he could you're do really it, grumpy. but you're having a bad day. I get it. I'm just gonna go over here. <laughs> Rhinos do seem grumpy. They seem like a grumpy animal in general, right? Well, the pro the the reason is black rhinos are territorial and um, very territorial, and the males are very aggressive. And when they uh, come across another one when they're drinking at the waterhole. They don't want to see that other male and they're very grumpy about it and very vocal about it. Uh, so it makes sense. But for the white rhino, white rhinos are very gregarious and they're not nearly as aggressive. Um, but I mean, a rhino is very similar to a puppy dog. It, they are <laughs> incredibly, um, just uh, adorable. They, they communicate with their long ears and when they're, when they supplicate, they flatten them against their head and they kind of mew and they have all these supplicating kind of puppy like behaviors. Rhinos are really undersold in their, in terms of personality. They have a lot of personality and they're really amusing to watch. <laughs> Favorite fictional elephant. Oh. Um, I have one that I'm writing about, <laughs> but, um, published fictional elephant. I love Babar. Uh, yeah, it's the story is so tragic. I mean, <laughs> you don't realize as a child, all the books that you read are so traumatic and, you know, I suppose they're, they're trying to help you process grief vicariously to be able to experience it in a safe way but so many terrible things happen to him <laughs> uh but I, I i do love the story and dumbo i mean how could you not love dumbo He's you gotta like dumbo there's no way an elephant could fly though oh, i imagine you've discovered that in your research it's wonderful <laughs> those big ears it'd be great if they could Best name for an elephant, like, oh, maybe you didn't, like, it wasn't your favorite elephant, but that was a really good name for an elephant. Well, I do have a favorite there. His name is Gakulu. He's a huge elephant and um, very gentle. In fact, he's not a diplomat because he doesn't like politics at all. So he just sidesteps our main um, dominant bull. Um, but his name came from the Zulu word for very large. And he's got these really wide splayed tusks. And one of them, uh, his right tusk is a little bit higher than the left. So you can see him from a kilometer or two away. You know that Gakulu is coming. And <laughs> it's a beautiful sight. So tell me about Wild Rituals. Wild Rituals uh, is a book about animal rituals and our own rituals uh, and the importance of ritual in our lives that we often forget or just are too lazy to engage in. And I show 10 different, very common rituals, you know, play, greeting, group rituals, um, grieving rituals. 
and how these rituals are expressed in different animal societies and how similar and sometimes different for our own societies, but just how important ritual is in general. Uh, and um, yeah, it came out in January and uh, we're developing a documentary series and it's, uh, it's really exciting. I want to thank Dr. O'Connell so much for joining us. If you want to connect with her, we have linked to her on our social media accounts. We're profoundly pointless on Instagram and Twitter, and we have also included her information in the episode description. Okay, let's go ahead and bring in John Shaw. Do you consider yourself to be smarter than most animals? Only, I would say yes, but only because of where we are in the food chain. Like I, if you break it down, like if I was to break it down to a certain point, like if I wasn't a, you know, a human and I, I eat certain things for a living, I'm not entirely sure I would say I'm smarter than a cow. But the fact that their main purpose is to provide us with meat to eat automatically gives us an edge, I feel. So you feel like that we as a people are smarter than cows, but you don't know if you individually would be smarter than like a cow. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm not entirely sure I would be. I, you know, I like a dog, like I have a pretty intelligent dog. And if you were to sit him down and give him a, you know, a, a just a common sense uh, test, we might get the same score. I'm not entirely sure. I mean, I kind of look at like animals and think like, man, look how dumb they are. And then I realize that they've managed to survive in the wild and I couldn't do that. I've always thought this about animals, just the same way I think about people, because I feel like I'm one of these people that like if and this is going to sound really terrible, but sometimes you can just look at somebody and and go, that person might not be the smartest person I've ever seen. And you're usually right. I feel like there's something that happens to your face. Like if you're a douchebag or an asshole or a really nice person or stupid, like your body just adjusts your face so that you look like that. And you can just tell like, oh, yeah, that guy, he's probably dumb. And then he's going to come up to you and ask you what day July 4th is. <laughs> well, and that, that that's kind of what I mean is I feel it's the same way in the animal kingdom. You know, like if I'm at the zoo. I can usually be like, oh, that is one dumb looking animal. And then you read about them. They're like, yeah. oh, yeah, all they do is live in the sun all day. And then they die at like age eight. Makes sense. That's a yeah, like a rhino. I don't think a rhino is a smart animal, but he doesn't need to be smart. Like you're just a big dummy and you can wander around and do whatever you want. <laughs> We're really breaking this down. The, the smartest animals at the zoos, at least, because that's what I can usually, you know, that's what I'm basing this upon. Uh, you're like, where are the tigers today? Oh, it's 95 degrees. They're inside, of course. Why the fuck would they be outside? Right. You know, I mean, we're the, the idiots. Yeah, we're yeah, we're the ones walking around at 100 degrees, sweating our asses off. That's good. It's a good life. Would you, if you were an animal, though, <laughs> would you want to live in a zoo or would you want to live in the wild? Oh, that's tough. I mean, pro I mean, kind of for what you said earlier. I mean, probably live in a zoo because you. It's kind of like being in prison. You're getting three hots and a cot, you know, you're getting preferential treatment, <laughs> even though I've never spent any significant time in prison. So forgive me if anyone out there has and wants to punch me right now. Um, yeah, dude, I think they probably mostly disagree with you that being in prison is like 
is a nice is a nice thing. I don't particularly think that animals really give a shit. I I mean you're you're right, I'm sure, because they like you said, they they adapt and like they're used to being in the wild, so to speak, having to hunt. Like, can you? I always go back to the polar bear thing when I'm. I, you know, you've seen so many documentaries about how like mom polar bears spend weeks getting just like one fish for their cubs. Like, could you imagine having to do that if we were humans and we had to go and actually like get our own food, like if our survival depended on it, we would all die. I would die. Oh, okay. If all of the United States. Let's say there's 350 million people in the United States. We're suddenly just transported back where we all had to just find our own food and survive. We lost all technology. We're back in whatever BC. How many people do you think, what percent of the population would not survive a month? From like the, the initial, like the, just the initial month? Yeah. I mean, out of 300, I would probably say a good 80, 85%. That's what I would think. Like eighty five percent of people would probably not make it. Yeah. No, we're 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 in a lot of trouble. Okay. All right. Before we get ourselves in any trouble by continuing this conversation, <laughs> let's just go ahead and let's just go ahead and move on. All right. Are are we? Uh, are you ready? I'm waiting. All right. So let's give some shout outs. Here. I have some. I picked out some good names. I feel, man. These. Okay. These... All right, dude. You're gonna oversell it like that. You better. You better impress. These these uh, well we're gonna start off with Dustin, whose uh, handle is Krusty Dusty four five one two. That's, that's pretty good. It's probably a fake account, but yeah, uh, <laughs> probably. Uh, Yasmin, appreciate you. Uh, Peter, uh, Eduardo, Acevedo, appreciate you. Wow. Uh, Zara, I <laughs> I uh, stumbled on that here. Uh, Julie Juliana, appreciate you. Uh, Lodro Rinsler, uh, that has to be a real name because I, I, I screwed it up. Uh, Jamie. Right. He was our guest, uh, last week. Thanks for paying attention. <laughs> um, and then we have, uh, Jim. God, he had no clue, did you? Who is Jim Reptile no Vegas. No clue. Uh, and then Berm Surfer. Some of us have had some things going on, uh, you know, who is Vin, <laughs> Vinny. Vincent, appreciate all of you, and uh, special shout out to Lodro as uh, as well. So, okay, um, all right. Uh, I you just love catching. You love trying to catch me on things. I love um, it. I love it. All right. Uh, this one's a theoretical. Well, a theoretical question for you. Um, Space Jam one or Space Jam two? Without seeing Space Jam two, which which one do you think you're going to have liked more? Probably Space Jam 1, simply because of the time, right? Like, it's not going to have the same kind of emotional weight because those characters aren't as relevant as they were when you and I were growing up. I think that kids seeing it now are going to be like, who who are, who's Bugs Bunny? I don't, are they even still on TV? I don't even know. I think they're on, like, HBO Max in, like, the corner of it where you have to search for an hour and a half and then they recommend one cartoon. Oh, well, that that sounds like that's a good business model, I suppose. I do like Michael Jordan less than I like LeBron James. Like, I feel like LeBron James is a better actor, but I feel like Michael Jordan had the better setup leading into it. Yeah, there's a trailer that's out for the new Space Jam. If you haven't seen it, check it out. But uh, I'm not a big fan of the, the plot that they show so far. 
like his kid goes into some computer terminal, then gets, you know, zapped to another another time. Don Cheadle is like the bad guy. You really worried about this plot of Space Jam 2. That's what's going to that's like, you know what? You know what? This plot on Space Jam 2 is just not up to my standards. I just I guess I'm not a big uh, a big LeBron fan either. So oh. I hopefully he'll surprise me. Yeah, we'll see. Okay, he's comes out in July. He's, he's 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 probably one of the best sports actors. Peyton Manning is number one, but LeBron James is probably up there at number two. See, I would argue and say The Rock is the greatest, but that's fine. Um, the Rock is a terrible actor. He's a he's great at playing The Rock. Yeah, he's great. He's a great actor. He's, He's not great actor. at acting, though. Like, oh, you could. All right, can you replace Tom Hanks with The Rock in any movie? There's probably one or two you could do it. No, tell me he couldn't do. You, he couldn't work magic in Castaway. No, he wouldn't need no damn pliers to pull his tooth out. He probably wouldn't, but he also wouldn't. He can't have the emotional weight to make a make you cry about a volleyball. No, that's true. He, he, no. All right. Um, a lot of talk going on about this. I just want to get your thoughts on it. Uh, how do you feel? Do you, uh, is it time to pay college athletes, not pay college athletes? There's some college basketball players that have said they're not going to play next year unless they get paid. Um, I, I think they should feel? absolutely be paid, right? I, I, I agree. I mean, I, mean, I agree. I, and the, the only, only problem with that is, though, I, I mean, I, I do see the other side. Know that I'm not that educated on it, probably, but... You know, they they get a full ride and things, right? For the most part, they get you know everything that they need. Um, but at the same time, I think we've talked about this before, right? Colleges are making millions, billions of dollars off some of these kids' likenesses. Uh, I screwed that word up. Um, likenesses. Uh, they, they should probably make something for sure. The only thing, like, I understand the argument that the NCAA tries to make in that regard and like, well, we're giving them a free education and stuff like that. But if any of those guys, and I think when we talk about it, right, we're talking about football and basketball. Those are the big ones. If any of those guys was like, hey, coach, I got a test tomorrow. We're not going to make practice. How's that working out for him? Right? Like, they, they, any of those big time programs could give a shit less about education. They could care. Those guys are there to play football. So sure. if they're there to do a job, then pay them like they're doing a job. I I always wanted to be – that's a great point. I don't want that to go unfounded, but I, I wanted to – you just made me think. I always wanted to, to to talk to a guy who's like fifth string, who when he's like, hey, coach, I have you know I have a test tomorrow. The coach is like, I'm sorry, who are you again? Right. You know, I'm like, sure he doesn't know his name. Oh, for sure. There's, what, 120 guys on a roster? Coach doesn't know below maybe 40 of them. He's probably just like – all right, big seven seven. Go ahead and <laughs> go ahead and take your test. All right, Jack. Yeah, right. Actually, my like, name's my name's Tom. No, no, you're okay, Jack. Thanks. All right. Then my last one, another kind of theoretical question. Uh, say you were a gazillionaire and you were escaping the press for whatever reason or trying to. Would you uh, hold yourself up in a nice mansion, go on a yacht in the middle of nowhere, or just buy an island to seclude yourself? What have I done? Have I done something bad? Like where I got caught like slaughtering goats in the front yard? Like did I what did I do that I'm hiding? Or are they like gossip columnists want to see my new baby? Well, uh well, 
because this is the first thing that comes to my mind. We'll just say that like your your spouse went missing, and it's it could, it could be deemed suspicious, but you haven't been listed as a suspect. That's deserted you, island, then. You're yeah, you're just trying to get away from all the you know. Maybe you did it, maybe you didn't, but you're just trying to get right. away from it all. Yeah, if you're gonna if you're just trying to hole up for something that maybe is gonna blow over, like maybe you got too drunk and got caught on video being stupid at a bar, like then you can hole up in your mansion. That's going to blow over. They're going to lose interest. You did something criminal. You better get out of there for multiple reasons, right? The press is not your, it's not (laughs) your main source of concern. So I would go deserted Island on that. Yeah. I'd probably pick a boat just because, you know, I've always wanted to be on a nice luxury yacht at some point in my life. And you know, why not? But you got to stretch out your legs eventually, right? It's not the same. You ever been on a cruise? I have. My favorite. Small. That's my favorite thing to do, actually. Rec- like, well, it was. Rec- recreate? I was going to say recreationally, but that's not a recreational thing. On a um, cruise? Why do you like a cruise? I know why you like a cruise. You don't have to do shit and there's food everywhere. <laughs> that's exactly <laughs> why. Well, you know, the, it's kind of like we were talking about buffets, right? With like the COVID thing. I wonder how cruise ships are going to do it now. Um, not very know. well. No, no, that's an industry that you probably wanted to sell your stock in. Um, yeah, no, man, I just, I've always been fascinated with kind of being out in the middle of nowhere and uh, that's what cruises do. They take you out in the middle of nowhere. Cool. That sounds boring as fuck. <laughs> um, are you ready for our top five? I, I am. I'm curious to see where you go with this. Okay. So our top five is top five animals that we're scared of. Not that they're like scary animals that, you know, this is not this is not the kind of animal that we want to mess with. Like if I see that animal, I'm going the other way. <laughs> What's your number five? Uh, a hippo. Oh, that's a good one. Those things are supposed to be mean as hell. Yeah, I've uh, I've only had one experience with a hippo, and it was at a zoo. And uh, and uh, what? Yeah, so you you've had to have gone to the Detroit Zoo to know what the enclosure looks like, but they're. Basically, they have kind of a dip down from the water to like the grass, and it's probably like a ten or fifteen foot, um, uh, I don't know, ten or fifteen feet between the grass and the water, to yeah. where people stand. And this hippo was like standing up on the ledge with its two like front hands or whatever. Like, and I kept thinking to myself, like, if that thing wanted to, it could easily climb up onto that grassy knoll and like start charging the shit out of us. And it was just like like standing there, like chilling, just like looking at everybody, and like you know, it would yawn, and its teeth looked like they were the size of my arm. And I was like, nope, I'm not, not, I don't ever want to fuck with those things. How old were you? I don't know, teen, thirteen, fourteen. Okay, that's too old for you to be afraid of a hippo in a zoo. Oh, you're in, nope, I, nope. That's why that I think's not getting out of there. They have to have like done some sort of research. To make sure that the hippo cannot get out of there, I'm I'm sure they can't jump, but I, I you know, I, you know, I I wasn't taking any chances. I saw, I was like, all right, see you later, hippo. Hopefully, you don't eat this little kid next to me. Okay, well, I mean, that's being soft <laughs> to say that you had an experience with a hippo because it got close to you at the zoo is uh, kind of ridiculous, to be honest with you. I'm not saying that hippos that you shouldn't be afraid of hippos. I'm just saying that that shouldn't be your reason to be afraid of hippos. I mean. I mean, the real reason's TV, seeing all the, you know, that's the real reason, which is what implanted the vision in my head for when I was there. I would actually be more accepting of your answer 
if you said that you were afraid of hippos because you got your hand hurt playing hungry, hungry hippo because you reached in there while somebody else was doing it. And ever since you've been afraid of hippos, I would be more accepting of that answer than the answer that you gave me about you went to the zoo and the thing stood up. It it, it was scary. That's I'm good. I don't there. Nope, I'm good. Okay. That's all I have to say about that. My number five is a jellyfish. Okay. I, uh, I've, I've also had, I've actually had a run in with a jellyfish. I think I've talked about it on the podcast and, uh, there's, their stings hurt like hell. I'll tell you that. Did you pee on it? Uh, no, but I actually Did fought my, else pee on it? I no, I actually fought my wife, uh, well, my then girlfriend who wanted to take me to the first aid station because they have vinegar or whatever. And they pour it on you, which is, you know, same thing as piss pretty much. And, uh, I tried being a hard ass man, you know whatever i was 23 24 but after about 10 minutes man i mean it started welting up and burning like crazy and i was like all right i'll go get the vinegar treatment now so you tried to hard ass with the jellyfish but get afraid of hippos (laughs) she didn't even i mean how mean is my now wife she was she was a go by yourself now you didn't want to go when i wanted to take you now you want to go that's appropriate i stand by her a hundred percent on that decision yeah man any 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 reason why they're like number five for you like what's no, the man, they're just scary because you can't see them and they hurt like hell. Like I've been stung once or twice and I just remember it being incredibly painful. Yeah. And then cause you don't know, you're just in the ocean and you can't see the thing and it just gets you. What's your number? What's your number four? Uh, a gorilla. Okay. Like I don't, I'm personally not worried about gorillas. I think they're pretty nice, pretty, they're pretty sweet, but they do look like, holy crap, that thing could tear me to pieces. Like if I'm walking through the jungle and I I move aside the brush and there's a fucking gorilla on the other side and he just turns or she just turns and looks at me, I'm like, oh shit. Have you ever seen a bear in the wild? Like really seen it? Not like from a hundred feet away. There's a bear. No, I mean I've seen him like kind of what you just said in the wild, but I've never been like close to one. No. I've been fairly close because we used to do a lot of like hiking and camping in Colorado. And a gorilla reminds me of a bear in the sense of like, oh, I want to see one in the wild until you see it. And then you're like, oh, I better get the hell out of here because <laughs> I know what I'm supposed to do. Right. Like get big and try to scare it or yeah, don't look the gorilla in the eye. But <laughs> I'm going to need some new pants. hundred percent chance I'm going to need some new pants if that happens. Yeah, I mean, a, a bear is a good one. I left the bear off, but a bear bears are uh, are also animals I would never want to run into. Okay, my number four is a skunk. See, you, you kind of sound like my that would, that would be my wife's number one. She has a uh, legitimate fear of skunks because of some issues she's had in the past. I've never had an, an issue with a skunk, so like I don't have any fear Many of them. issues. Her dogs have been sprayed a couple of times. Oh, okay. Yeah, so... Uh, they did, like, stole all her money? They broke into the house, stole her all her money while she was in an apartment? Like, what happened? I, she just... She tells me it's the worst smell ever. And I, you know... I smell them from outside time to time, you know? But I, I've never been sprayed myself or had something sprayed that I, you know, that I know, so... Okay. I also have never been sprayed by a skunk. Uh, what's your number three? Uh, spiders. Any particular spider or just spiders in general? Uh, I, I mean, I could go on on some examples. I'll just say spiders in general. 
Okay, that's legit. Uh, my number three is also an insect. I'm going to go with a wasp. Okay, see, flying insects don't really, don't really scare me. You're more afraid of the see, but they can like the spider. You know, generally where it's going to go, and it generally can't move faster than you, right? Like if you just kind of back up a little bit, you got this. That's not correct. The wasp is way more of a threat than a spider. You telling me that you don't get paranoid when, like, you see a a spider crawling down the wall, and, and you're like, "All right, I gotta go into the other room to get a whatever uh, fly swat or paper towel, whatever you're gonna use to kill it." You come back and it's just gone. That doesn't happen to me. I move pretty swiftly when I know that there's a spider in my household. Oh well, I can tell you. I that. take care of my family. <laughs> well, not. I, I don't. No, I don't see the spider. Leave the room. Go get a snack. Come back an hour later. I didn't say I had a snack. Maybe, maybe one hundred percent chance. Maybe I might chance. grab some jelly beans on the way back. It is Easter <laughs> time. <laughs> You're not gonna just walk past an open bag of chocolate. I mean, come <laughs> on, man. You know, I mean, whatever. That's fair. What's your number two? Uh, I have alligators. That's I ridiculous. Uh, well, I can tell you that when I was in Florida, back when I used to run, uh, believe it or not. Um, I came across something that looked like a gigantic rock, uh, and I thought it was being funny. And I was by myself. It's right when I moved to Florida. I had no idea. And, like, I grabbed a stick, and I went to go poke it. Because it, it, I knew it wasn't a rock, but I was like, what was it, right? I'm like, is, you know, is that just some kind of animal? I thought it might have been an armadillo or something. And, oh, uh, you're a terrible person. Uh, well, I just wanted to see what it was. You don't have to poke it. And, uh, you of got course, eyes. Of course, I, I poked it, and it just lifted its head up. And there it was, and I was like, "Well, I'm backing away now." And then, you know, living in Florida, as you know, right? I mean, they're on the side of the road sometimes. Like they, they are just animals. I do, I never want to uh, cross paths with, ever. Do you know how to escape an alligator? Run sideways? Is that a bear? No, you don't <laughs> run sideways. You go uh, side to side, though. They're apparently very straight line fast, but they're not very agile side to side. So if you run sideways, eventually it's still going to get you because it will just cut the corner. They got that 40 time down, but they can't do the lateral movement. It'll just take the angle, but it's, it's not good at the three cone drill. Oh. So you just got to switch it up. You got to zigzag. <laughs> That's funny. Or you just got to be faster than the person next to you. Uh, my number two is a moose. See, I've never had, I've never really had any experiences with moose. I mean, they seem like territorial creatures, but like they seem kind of chill at the same time. They're not. They're they're pretty short tempered, and they'll follow you. <laughs> they'll just <laughs> they'll like show up at your house like a year later. They don't they don't mess around, and they're big. They're so much bigger than you think they are. That would is that like is that like me telling you what two years ago now that I beat a uh, a buffalo in a race without knowing how big they actually are? Oh my god! I forgot about that ridiculous conversation. That carried the podcast. I carried podcasts like for a few few of them. I forgot man. all about that. John thinks he's faster than a buffalo. Not anymore. Uh, and I always you were said never was, faster than a buffalo. Usain Bolt is not faster than a buffalo. And, that sucker's doing forty in the snow. I well, first off, if I recall right, you uh, think you had more acceleration than a buffalo, which you don't. In a forty-yard dash, I said that no. I could. I, I think I could beat it in a forty-yard dash. Absolutely not. From start just from start not a chance to finish. Think of what think of the amount of leg muscle and power and explosiveness it takes to get that thing moving as quickly as it can. Right? 
You don't think wolves are fast? They got to outrun wolves. But that's what I mean, though. Like to get that thing up and running in forty yards, I bet you it's not even. It's just probably still walking by the forty yards. No, dude, it's fast as hell. I guarantee a buffalo. Here. A buffalo isn't just beating you in a forty-yard dash. A buffalo is beating you on a twenty-yard dash, a ten-yard no dash, a one-yard dash, no and way. a half-yard dash. No way. If that buffalo is well trained and doesn't cheat, I'm beating it. Think. All right. No, dude. It's gonna beat you every time. The buffalo is going to beat you. Do we know any people on here that have buffaloes? I will take a vacation this summer and go to your ranch and and race your buffalo. All right, we'll put that out there. If anybody has a buffalo, John Shaw would like to race your buffalo. And I would like to watch that race. And oh, yeah, watch you'd have to be lose. there. Right. Remember, everybody, this guy doesn't believe in dinosaurs, okay? That's he doesn't believe in dinosaurs and thinks he can outrun a buffalo. That's, What's your number one? Uh, uh, <laughs> I have uh, the good old friendly cockroach is my number one. Oh, I forgot about that. No other animal insect whatever you want to call it that uh just makes me whatever man i scared of them i hate them they 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 signify so many things to me that are just wrong i would agree, i would agree 100 percent with that they signify everything that is wrong right like you know your apartment is dirty there's they, they're just like a sign of so many other things uh i forgot about cockroach cockroach should definitely be on the list but my number one is a rattlesnake. Yeah, I mean, I'm just, I guess I'm just, I just try to be smart about snakes. Like, I feel like all the animals on my list, like if I was to come around them, they would immediately be like, who the fuck is this guy? I feel like snakes are kind of like, listen, I'm just over here chilling. Don't come in my, my area or I'll start getting pissed, but just give me some space. I had one experience with a rattlesnake wife and I walking down a trail. They like to hide in like dark, cool places. And one was hiding under a log that had fallen across the trail and recently been cut. And I heard the rattle literally turned around and shoved my wife backwards. Into the snake. <laughs> no, off a cliff. <laughs> right okay. off the cliff. No, man, there I don't mean you ooh, ooh. I've always been afraid of rattlesnakes. I mean look, granted that could be viewed as an act of domestic violence, but I was protecting her and taking one for the team i was like well i'm gonna get bit by this rattlesnake it didn't bite you though no no oh, so you just that, so that I just is domestic my wife. violence yeah that is domestic <laughs> so, okay which we don't condone All right, well, this last episode going to jail <laughs> um what's in your honorable mention uh so I've, i i have kind of the basic ones i guess i like i, I put bears on there i put uh, lions i put tigers I put I actually I put dogs on here. I was afraid of dogs until I was an adult. Um, hmm. Did you have a bad experience with the dog? I did. Yes, I, I had gotten uh, bitten when I was younger. Um, Worse than your experience with a hippo. <laughs> but the but a hippo was like I, a hippo is like more because right we don't live where they are naturally. So like to me, everything I've seen of a hippo is on TV, and seeing those things on TV is what has you know manifested in my brain so when i see them at the zoo that's what i think i mean maybe they're really nice animals but i from what i've seen and heard they're not nice animals i think they're kind of dickheads um then i I also put on here sharks even though i've never had a close experience with a shark um not even watching jaws (laughs) i have i did go on jaws but we killed the shark so 
after it already got a bunch of us, man. (laughs) I mean, the the group of sharks, right? Like, if there was a group of great white sharks out there, and they were mourning their friend, they were at his funeral, uh, at Jaws' funeral, they would be like, well, at least he got a bunch of them. Like, he won that, right? We think that he lost, but really, if you think about it, Jaws won that. I actually think if, if we're bringing this around full circle to the beginning of the podcast, is that is that do you think animals mourn their dead? Yeah, they do. Elephants do. Which clearly they're smart. Aren't they the smartest animal that we know of in the animal kingdom? I don't know. I'm going to go ahead and say crows are probably the smartest are supposed to be the smartest. No, Jaws won that dude. He definitely won that fight. Mm, I mean, I he know. lost to one person, but he took down. Right? Like, he went down swinging. He did much better for his species than we did for ours, if you think about it. Well, I mean, but that, yeah, of course. And let's be honest, yeah. it's, not, it's not that hard to kill a gray white shark. I guarantee. Oh, yeah, here we go. I can take it with my hands. I can Another beat acceleration. it up. I can swim faster than in 50 Probably meters. Thinks, I guarantee I can beat a great white shark in a 50-yard swim across the pool. Oh my god, a goldfish would beat me in a 50-yard swim across the pool. Yeah, dude. A fucking coral would beat you in a 50-yard <laughs> Oh my gosh. All right. All right, what's in your honorable mention? I, I could see an ostrich. I'd be a little bit afraid of an ostrich. I wouldn't want to get kicked by an ostrich. That's up there. I'm not a fan of horses either. Not generally a fan of horses. Um, You're bent on a horse? Yeah. It's scary as shit. I agree with yeah, you. Yeah, dude. I got bucked off and got dragged and hit my head on a rock. Why don't you bring up child, traumatizing childhood memories of my dad's negligence as a father? <laughs> well, he did He did something, right? I'm glad, uh, you know, glad uh, that he ex- had you experience. God, where, where was old man Vincent laughing as I was dragged across a fucking prairie by a horse? Man, dad! I didn't even think I was yelling. I was like so traumatized. I didn't even make a noise. That kind of traumatized. That's how you know for people who aren't parents, that's how you know your kid is hurt. When you don't hear anything and it looks like it should have been hurt, like, oh, (laughs) straight to the emergency room. The silent major cry for my daughters when I know that like, oh, shit, they're really hurt. When their mouth is open, but no sound is coming out. Okay, that's going to go ahead and do it for this episode of Profoundly Pointless. I want to thank you so much for listening. If you get a chance, like, download, subscribe, share. Ooh, we really, ooh, two of them. We really appreciate it. It really helps us out. Rattlesnakes, man. I'm telling you. Ooh, don't mess with rattlesnakes. If there's any kind of animals, though, that you're just especially afraid of, Let us know. Woo! Rattlesnakes. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.